You're listening to Run With The Bulls, a podcast discussing a unique approach to everyday finance with everyday people. Run With The Bulls is sponsored by Mentoro, a financial wellness company. Now, your hosts, author Danny Kofke and the royalty of financial wellness, Whitney Queen. Welcome to Run With The Bulls. My name is Danny Kofke and I'm a motivational mentor with Mentoro. I am joined by the president of Mentoro, Whitney Queen. Hey, Whit. Hey, Danny, and hello to everyone listening. I am so excited to jump into today's topic because it's something we place a great deal of focus on here at Mentoro, and it's personally one of my favorites. What is it? The holiday party? (laughs) Well, as much fun as that is, we're going to delve into the topic of behavioral finance. Hmm. So we do a lot of stuff here centered around behavior finance at Mentoro, but we have an expert in studio with us today, Mm -hmm. Dr. Matt Gorin, who has a degree in psychology. Hey, Matt. Hey, Danny. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being here with us. I'm really looking forward to this topic as well, because I feel that money problems are pretty much 90% based on our behaviors. It's really, really easy to do well with money right? Spend less than you earn. It sounds so simple. But then our behaviors get in the way. It's so true, Danny. So what exactly is behavioral finance then? According to Investopedia, behavioral finance, a subfield of behavioral economics, proposes that psychological influences and biases, yep, I'm not going any longer, right? I think I would need the doctor to come in and help me with that one. So Matt, really, can you tell us in layman's terms, what is behavior finance? It's the psychology of money. That's it. Simple as that. Simple. Well, I mean, since you have a a doctorate in psychology, of course you're going to throw that in. But yeah, I agree. So basically, in a way, it's like, why do we spend the money that we do? It's a great question. And, you know, during my time at UCLA, I was fortunate enough to study under Shlobo Benarzi for a behavioral finance series. And I learned that there are so many different things that come into play when you evaluate people's behavior and, and how they choose to spend their money or save their money. And one of the biggest principles that correlated back to me was this theory of loss aversion. We know that people feel pain two to two and a half times more than they feel a gain. So when you think about that, that's pretty crazy. Maybe that's the fear of missing out that's a pain, or maybe that's the fear of not having enough in your pocket. Who knows? It's different for everyone. So funny you say that. So my 14-year-old, she just got invited on a beach vacation. It was last month. And she kind of hesitant about going, but she told me, I have FOMO. And I immediately thought of our behavior model. She's (laughs) two friends. And then she comes back. I mean, it wasn't a horrible trip, but she didn't have as much fun. And I'm like, when you have FOMO, it can lead to bad things no matter what. So why do you say that? I think it's so true. We all experience FOMO at some point in our life. Another way to think about loss aversion, because it's pretty hard to avoid those natural feelings, right? So another way to think about that might be if you've saved so much and you've invested properly and you're educating yourselves on how to handle your finances better, then why would you want to lose that? Why would you want to throw that away over a whim? Maybe in your daughter's case, it's over going to the beach or in a lot of people's cases, it's 
they purchase that house that they can't afford or they get that car they don't need and they throw away their plans. So why would you want to lose those things? What are some other reasons why you think people spend money and experience these same behaviors? You know, I think probably the biggest one, and I will go back to my daughter on the, the fear of missing out. It's something she's always known her whole life, social media. So it's those pictures on Insta, those pictures on Facebook. So we feel like, hey, first off, we're going to miss out, but also we want to portray a certain image. And it seems like a lot of times what's really happening doesn't usually make it on our social media pages. It's a glimpse of what we're doing at that time and everyone looks so happy. So then we see that, we see other people with that and like, gosh, I want to have that as well. So then bam, we spend money we don't have because we're trying to portray an image to be like others. And so often we think about loss aversions in the strictly financial context. We're talking now about the loss of your social clout or the, the loss of some experience I never got to have. And one thing we financial educators have to keep in mind, our values around money are probably not shared by the people they're working with. We care about the finances far more, far more than anybody else. What motivates the people that we work with and part of what uh, we do as educators is understanding the students in the room. What values do you have? Why do you get out of bed and come to work every day? And now let's change how we present this material to resonate most with those values that you have. Exactly, because everyone's going to have a different journey. Everyone's going to care about different things. For some, it's making sure that they can portray that image. For others, it's making sure that they have that nest egg saved. No one journey is exactly the same. Sure. For me, when I spend money, and it's kind of one of the reasons I see sometimes others spend, and I think it's a positive way, it's to gain freedom. And an example is when Tracy was a stay-at-home mom, and when she went back to work as a teacher, I knew how hard it was going to be, and I said, something's going to have to give you're earning more money now, we're going to have a housekeeper come in and clean our house every other week. Now that's money out of our pocket, but that gains us some freedom. So another reason why people do spend money, that's a chore she doesn't like. I don't really like it either. So here we go. Now we have this money to take away, which is a positive, something we really don't want to be doing because we have the freedom and we're able to do so. There's probably some people rolling their eyes right now thinking, but you could do your own laundry or whatever. I still mow my grass. So there you still go. Exceptions. Except I do my laundry. It's like the bathrooms and you know, that, that kind of stuff. Sure. So it's put your money towards your values, right? Understanding sure. what do you care about? You want to still mow the lawn. You're willing to do that, not some of these other things. Right. No, absolutely. I think that's such a big part of behavioral finance is recognizing the human being in this, the emotional animal in all of this that we do. And some of us hate doing laundry. Some of us hate mowing the lawn. So spend your money on those things that make you have a better life and not on the things that don't do anything for you. Exactly, exactly. To the conversation so far, I think these are all great reasons on why we may spend money. However, 54% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, which is just absolutely incredible when you think about it. You may think that this is because we don't make enough, but nearly 40% who make over $100,000 a year are still in this situation. Coming up after the break... Why is this the case?
Welcome back. So, Whitney, we just went over some reasons why we spend money. However, you had some pretty scary statistics showing a majority of us spend money we don't have. Why do you feel this is the case? Yeah, it's pretty scary, especially that a majority of us are just one paycheck away from financial disaster. You know, I kind of think the reason many spend money they don't have is to gain some sort of contentment. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. A global poll conducted by Gallup has uncovered that out of the world's 1 billion, yeah, that's it with the B, full-time workers, only 15% of people are engaged at work. That means that an astronomical 85% of people aren't really happy at their jobs. Wow, that's insane. Is it any wonder that many of us try to buy our happiness then? Hmm. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think we live in the greatest country on earth right here in America. However, I sometimes think many of us are never satisfied and we're always seeking something else. And I'm reminded, it's a story I've read before, and I think I mentioned it in one of my books. It's about a fisherman that basically he, he's on his pier, he pulls in a couple of fish, and there's this investment banker there. And he questions, hey, you kind of have like a good little catch, but what comes next? Like, why didn't you stay out longer and fish? You could have caught more. So then fisherman said, well, I kind of enjoy my life, right? I fish for a few hours. I come home. I take a nap. I play with my kids. At night, I go hang out with my friends, drink some wine, play some music, and repeat it over and over again. So what else should I do? Businessman's like, well, you know, you could build it up. You could work more, and then you could buy more boats, and then you'd have this large fleet, and then you would move to New York, and then eventually L.A., and you would just be in charge of this multi-billion-dollar company. So the fisherman says, okay, that's great. What would happen next? He says, well, then you'd build it up and sell it to someone and make millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then the fisherman says, okay, well, after I do that, what would happen? And then the, the investment banker says, well, at that point, you'd be able to take naps, play with your kids and hang out with your wife, drink wine at night, already what you're doing. So, you know, it's one of those things that I think a lot of times we don't focus on what we already have. Once again, it's important to plan for the future. I'm not saying that, but I think for many people, we're never content with what we currently have and are always seeking something else when in fact, we kind of have it right there. I love that story because to me, it helps me kind of play devil's advocate. So as I'm listening through it, I'm thinking maybe there's some false hope that comes with contentment, right? So as we circulate through that story, we find out at the end that maybe the fisherman should just continue doing what he's been doing his whole life <laughs> and maybe not deal with all the other mess. Who knows what the right outcome is? But I think as that translates to behavioral finance, it brings up another one of the core principles of Mentoro's service model of behavior change, and that is inertia. Sometimes, and we'll take it back to eighth grade science class, everybody remembers inertia. <laughs> we learned that inertia is essentially the unwillingness to change. It's something that's pushing against us. Depending on what our target is and kind of what's out in front of us, we may or may not be willing to approach it. So to go back to your initial point earlier on contentment, if we're always searching for that contentment and we're never satisfied, maybe we're ignoring some things or not willing to address other things that may get in our way. To give you an example, some folks who are searching for that image 
and trying to portray to people what their life looks like, they could be hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Matt, I'm curious, in your work, have you come across inertia and how that plays a part in behavioral finance? It comes up all the time, and I think it's a funny thing how Danny tells the story and then we start ganging up on him because we both dislike the story. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I absolutely think the this is a an example of that inertia of, hey, my life is pretty good right now. I'm able to take the naps and drink the wine and all that. And, and absolutely, who wouldn't want those things, right? It's a balance that we all need to have when we, to some extent, are that fisherman. Are we okay with the lives we have now, should we work to raise our income? Should we work to save more, invest more? Because the the part of the story that doesn't get told is let's zoom forward 30 years and let's keep doing the status quo. Let's keep doing the inertia. And that fisherman didn't maybe save anything. Now he has to retire. He doesn't have an ability to work anymore. And there's nothing. And there's no more naps with the kids and wine and all that. It's uh, destitution. It's needing to be dependent, hopefully, if there are government services available. That's not a really good life. But then there is the balance. Do we need to sacrifice everything and go start a business and move to New York? I probably don't need to do that either, right? What is the balance where we can do the little things. Uh, you are mentioning uh, Richard Thaler and these other researchers, the, the nudges, the little nudges, right? What are the small changes? Combat the inertia a little bit, maybe save a little bit more, and then we can have it both ways. We can enjoy our time right now and prepare for the future so it's not a horrible time in 30 years. It's interesting, you know, because I agree exactly what you're saying. I kind of take the philosophy and I do it in try to in most areas of life, but moderation is key in a lot of things. I have friends that are overweight, unhealthy, but it seems like every six months it's some drastic diet that they're on or some drastic exercise routine. And then two weeks later, guess what? They're back to their normal ways. Whereas I try to work out five days a week, but it's 20, 25 minutes. And I've been able to do it for six years because it's not so overwhelming, but it's just that consistency. And I think a lot of times we can hold that with our money too and how we approach it that, yeah, this was kind of a neat little story. And it shows that, you know, sometimes we aren't content with what we have, but at the same time, it's one of those things if we were just too content with what right, our situation right. is right now, then later on in life, we're going to be living off Social Security alone, right? If we don't take action in what our national debt's over $28 trillion right now. So, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I really don't want to depend on the government to take care of me financially when I'm older. So I think, you know, you bring up a good point. I'm fine. You guys can both attack me. I'm, I'm ready for it, but no, I we're working I agree. together here. Yes, yes. It's interesting to see that, that I do see the flip side of that as well. My thing is when we're talking about that behavioral finance, I do wish others sometimes would just take a little time out of their day and just appreciate some of those things that they do have. And then I don't think maybe they would have to buy something else when they realize, hey, I already have it pretty good. I don't need to buy something to make me happy because right. I already have this. Yeah. When we're thinking in terms of spending to try to make yourself happy, spending on stuff is one of the worst ways or least efficient ways to make yourself happy. Absolutely. If the story here is don't spend on things you don't need, yeah, I'm all in on that. Going back to what we were saying before about human beings are emotional animals and we can't 
underemphasize how our emotions drive our behavior. So are you content? Do you have that emotion? Well, you're not going to do very much. Contentment is telling our brains, you're good. You're all good to go. You don't need to do anything. Having some contentment, fine, because otherwise you're going to work yourself into the ground, right? But on that flip side, having a little bit of the hunger of that drive of feeling like, hey, like, couldn't my life be better? A little bit of the compare yourself to the Joneses, that can motivate you too. And that's not to say be uh, lustful or something, have this drive all the time to take, take, take and be greedy, but a little bit of that emotion then gets you moving, gets you working towards something which makes you better off. And then now that we know that, as the educator, how do we put that into play? When do you feel content? Okay, you, the student, know when you feel content. Use that when you need to chill out, when you need to not be freaking out about finances. And then on that other times, hey, when do you get motivated to put in the overtime? When do you get motivated to save a little bit more? Now that we know that, we can push that a little bit too when it makes sense. So, in other words, a little bit of inertia is a good thing. So, it makes me think about people who have won the lottery in the past. Maybe they were content or not before, but let's assume that they didn't have a ton of money, and now all of a sudden they've come into millions. Time after time, you hear that their outcome is that they've either lost it all or they're exceedingly unhappy. I think that that plays a part here, too, because when they don't have that inertia, they don't have those problems to solve. They aren't searching to reach that level of commitment or that kind of outcome to drive them. It offsets that balance and moderation. I think most of us, we just want to feel like we're giving back. In this life that we have, the short time we have on earth, we want to feel that we are accomplishing something. And I think a lot of people, when they win the lottery, if you have no mission, that is hard. It's like, okay, what are you working for today? Oh, I guess I'll just get up and play another 18. I mean, there's a lot of people, it sounds dreamy. Sounds awful. It does, you know, but I'm just, but at some point it's like my wife's grandmother lived in California and she would always say, well, it's just another beautiful day in Southern California. You know, so over time you kind of, it sounds it, but you know, for 20 years in a row, oh, it's 72 and sunny again. Like it is, I mean, Miserable people in San Diego. It's so funny, though. (laughs) My neighbor across the street, it never fails. There's always like this one dreary day in February, and we'll see him out while we're checking the mail, and he's like, we'll have to put this one in our back pocket. (laughs) But it's so true. Like, sometimes it takes... (laughs) The, the yes. stormy days are the bad weather to appreciate the good ones. Sure. A- again, I think these are all just analogies for balance and moderation. Right. And if you look at the most successful people ever, these multi-billionaires have more money than we can even uh, wrap our brains around. What are these people doing right now? They're trying to go to the moon. They're trying to go into the, like deep space. They are never content. So just because you have some money doesn't mean you need to say, oh, that's it. I'm just going to rest in my laurels. Not all of us are going to be able to fund lunar adventures. That's I'm not saying that that's a realistic sure. goal. But what is your version of that? What is your stretch goal? How are you going to try to make the world a better place or yourself a better person or give more to your family? What are those goals for yourself? Have that hunger towards those goals. Move forward and don't just say, yeah, I'm, I'm happy enough. I'm just going to stop. Right. You can go back to lottery winners or athletes or musicians. A lot of times when they come into money, when they don't have that mission, what do they usually do? A lot of them fall to drug abuse, 
alcohol because they have so much money now that they're able to do those things. So no, I think it is. No matter how much you have, we are just striking the balance. But it is good to achieve things and strive for goals. But at the same time, I also think it's good when you have achieved a goal, give yourself a little recognition and pat yourself on the back a little bit if it is a good goal. And that's why there was an element where I did enjoy my time as a teacher because there was like a beginning and an end. And and you experienced probably the same thing, Matt. It's a shorter period of time, but you can recognize all these great achievements that have gone on in nine months, but there's that good beginning in you. And then you strive and you start afresh and you do something and you try to achieve them again. So I think, you know, for me, I think it's good to recognize the accomplishments you've made, but also then strive and try to do more as well. I love that. I, I love this conversation and I can see how it's resonating. When we come back, we're going to take a look at how Mentora places a huge emphasis on behavioral finance to help our participants have a long-lasting success with their personal finance. All right, welcome back. Today's episode has been about why we spend money the way we do. This is referred to, again, as behavioral finance. Here at Mentoro, we place a heavy emphasis on behavioral finance. We do this using four of our core values. And the first I'd like to touch on is engage. We have to engage with our participants. We were just talking about inertia in the last segment. In order to bring people out of their shells and help them see that this is okay and a comfort zone where they can really start talking about their finances and addressing what's important to them is to engage with them. And by engaging with one of our expert money mentors, we begin to build that roadmap to a better financial future. Finances can be so difficult to discuss, and we believe that face-to-face interaction is one of the best ways to help build that relationship and that level of trust. Yeah, financial topics remain taboo for so many people. You know, we'll tell people our intimate health details, and we have kidney stones, but yet we're ashamed to talk about our bank account, right? So I do think engaging is so huge. And another one of our core values is that we examine our participants' financial situations. So we take a look at your individual financial situation, right? It's not a one size fits all. So someone we may meet with has a lot of student loan debt. So we're going to have to work on that. Whereas someone else we meet with may have insurance needs. They may have a large family need that. It all varies. So that's big thing we try to place on is put personal back in personal finance and everyone's situation is different. And that's why it's really important for us to examine it. And so we can work on that. So one of the other reasons why I like the examination process is it allows us to look for myopia or seeing if someone is experiencing myopic behavior. Another way to say that is present bias. We spend a lot of time talking about contentment. So let's put ourselves back in that place. If we're content and a little too content, which we all agree that that could be a possibility, maybe that makes it difficult for us to see far down in the future and imagine what life could be like then. I remember that commercial, there was a few years ago, a financial company. I remember a guy got on the plane, it was his younger self, and he sat down next to his like 30-year-old future self. And it was like, hey, you got to picture yourself. What are you going to look like in the future? Mm -hmm. This is why you need to invest right now. That's exactly it. 
sometimes we lose sight of what's going to be happening, maybe not later today or tomorrow, but 30 years down the road. So a great example of someone experiencing myopic behavior would be delayed retirement. We are in the midst of a retirement crisis right now in America, and that is because too many people had present bias a long time ago and didn't put the measures in place to where they would be able to retire in a healthy way years down the road. We're even seeing this somewhat with millennials today in that they're a little more focused on what they have right now, what's going on, keeping up up with the Joneses to the point that they're not stowing back for the future. Fortunately, we're seeing that less and less as opposed to the generations before us, but it's still something to keep in mind. And so by examining someone's motivators and what they're capable of doing, we get that deeper insight into what may be coming down the road. That way we can help put healthy things in place. And the way that we do that is with our third core value, and that's educate. So our team familiarizes ourselves with a company's programs and their benefit profile, as well as what's going on in different personal finance situations, so that we know how to best utilize financial incentives to help people attain their goals. Education's important, right? A little biased on that. And last but not least, we empower. And I personally think that's the most important one. It's great that we can teach people and teach our participants all these things and how to do them. Now my daughter's 17. I don't want her living at my house forever. That's not healthy, right? I want to empower her to be able to be on her own and be an individual and then function in society. And I feel the same way with our participants. We want to give them the tools and empower them to make those decisions and do it on their own. Don't do it for Mentoro. We're doing it for you. You need to do it for yourself, right? I love that part of just using all of our core values to finally let someone take the action and have the confidence to do so to be a financially stable person. Absolutely. And that kind of ties it back to that first behavioral finance component we were talking about, loss aversion. So let's think if we go through the process of engaging and examining and getting a greater understanding of ourselves and putting all these healthy habits in place because we now have that thorough understanding and we feel empowered and confident, why would we want to lose any of that? Yeah. I mean, what would you say as a doctor? Why would you want to lose that, right? You wouldn't. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I think it's such a great thing to hear financial education focusing on the psychology side, focusing on the behavioral finance side, because ultimately the technical side of finance is not that complicated. You were saying earn more than you spend on investment. It's throw some money into an investment account. It's really easy. It's like shockingly easy when you actually do it, but we don't. We don't do it. And what are the reasons why we don't do these things, which once you're educated are not all that complicated? And some folks want to discount psychology. It's it's soft science. It's the frou-frou or something like that. It's really hard to get people to do what's in their best interest. You can't discount how hard it is to get people to feel empowered and to take care of themselves. Once they do it, their lives are so much better than they were before.
Definitely. And I think, you know, we'll say like in today's, you know, times, it does seem like there is more of an emphasis on that of the psychology of people and why we act the way we do. Like, why are we making decisions that are ultimately going to harm us? We really don't mean to. And that's why I think when we look at our core values and we try to to differentiate between each person to make them do and act the way they should be acting, right? It's simple. Follow the right rules. We were talking about it earlier. Just do what you're supposed to do. But we know when life happens, it becomes more difficult. Absolutely. If you have a game plan and let's look at the week and you say, okay, I'm going to go to the gym every day. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to go to work. You're trotting along throughout the week. Everything's going well. Then Wednesday you show up to work, all hell breaks loose. And then before you know it, instead of going to the gym that afternoon, you're going to meet somebody for cocktails because you're feeling bad. And you know, then you stop by Target and you buy way too much stuff there. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like we've all been there in our own way. You can get off track so easily, and I think that's what happens. I think most people set out with the best of intentions, and then just natural things happen. Our natural behaviors happen, but it's our goal to help people handle that real-life journey and, and what comes at them without derailing too far off the path. We're all humans. I mean, that's the thing. We've all faced it a Monday morning where we get up and the car doesn't start, and then we just don't want it to derail your entire week. Well, I think that... Today has been an excellent conversation. I've certainly enjoyed it and, again, see so much value in having that greater understanding as to why we do what we do and spend the money or save the money that we do. Matt, I want to say thank you for joining us today. A lot of great insights. Thank you for having me. And I think that will do it for our time today. Danny, thanks so much to you as well for chatting, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Catch us next time as we run with the bulls. Run With The Bulls is sponsored by Mentoro and hosted by Danny Kofke and Whitney Queen. Learn more by visiting mentorogroup.com.